This is the Hiking Through Life podcast. We've all been gifted a journey called life. Let's see where the journey leads us today. We love sharing these stories with you through the Hiking Through Life podcast, and we're so grateful that you listen to this podcast. If you'd like to support the Hiking Through Life podcast further, we have these amazing new t-shirts and water bottles. The t-shirts come in four colors, and the water bottles are perfect for trails, adventuring, or daily use. Consider checking them out at hikingthroughlife.net slash shop. Use the code podcast and receive 10% off your first order. Welcome to the Hiking Through Life podcast. I'm Andy. And I'm Sarah. In today's journey, we talk with Devin the Nature Guy. We had the pleasure of doing our first Skype interview with Devin. We would like to thank everyone for also bearing with us as we work through um, figuring out some of the technical aspects of Skype and just how to best record over Skype. One thing that we did recently is purchased a new microphone for our setup. So hopefully um, going forward after this podcast, we will have some clearer audio and a little bit crisper sound to our interviews that we do online. In Sarah's interview with Devin, he um, gave us some, some pointers on safety tips in the outdoors, such as bear safety, how to uh, avoid poisonous plants, um, don't eat anything if you don't know what it is, and things along that nature, as well as giving some of his background on how he got into being a naturalist and currently now a science teacher, and how this podcast that he does with his brother has evolved. And I have found myself listening to his podcast to learn a little bit more about wildlife. And it's all types of wildlife. But what I really appreciate about his podcast is that he makes it easily understandable for the non-biologist, non-scientist, everyday person like like me. It makes it really easy to understand. So I've been very attracted to it. And... um, Yeah, we got connected with him through social media and thought we would do an interview with him. Devin also has a website called the wildlife.blog, and there he also blogs about some of the topics that um, he discusses on his podcast. And it's all centered around nature and wildlife. Devin is also involved in leading some hikes for Hike Hoppers, which is a nonprofit organization that encourages people to get outdoors and puts on some cool hikes. Um, A lot of them are themed hikes, and he discusses a little bit of that in the interview as well. So sit back and enjoy the interview. You wonder how it took so long for you to figure it out? It's more like um, jumped wholeheartedly into uh, wildlife biology. And, you know, in obsessing over people like Steve Irwin and stuff, you know, that that was kind of what I wanted to do. Getting out there and hiking, there's two main things that we've learned. You need a lot less than you think. You need yourself and just be present. Everything else is optional. We are... um 
um, here tonight with Devin, the nature guy, who is the host of the wildlife podcast and blog. And we're super excited to have him here with us. So thank you for joining Devin. Yeah. Yeah. Thank you for having me. Um, so we kind of just want to know, how did you uh, start this journey of yours? It looked like you were a science teacher. You have a naturalist background. Tell us a little bit about how that all started. Yeah. Um, uh, uh, much like in my daily life, I'm a little all over the place. Um, <laughs> I've always, I mean, even as a kid, you know, looking back, it's kind of one of those things where um, you wonder how it took so long for you to figure it out. Um, I, I originally had been going to school for history education, and it was quite a while before I ended up settling in on, I say settling, it was more like um, jumped wholeheartedly into uh, wildlife biology. And it was one of those things where, you know, looking back in my childhood, trying plants in my front yard and stuff like that. And fortunately, being frequently very lucky, um, didn't get too sick very often. And, you know, in obsessing over people like Steve Irwin and stuff, you know, that that was kind of what I wanted to do. Um, so uh, in school for wildlife biology, um, there was a, a semester that I spent in Texas. During that time, I got a job at a nature center. And uh, so Armand Bayou Nature Center, it's the largest urban um, nature center in the country. And uh, I had originally gone in wanting to do one of like the more outdoorsy, hands-on kind of those kinds of things, more the manual kind of task. And they didn't have any openings. And they said, well, we do have an opening in our in our educator area. Would you be interested in that? At the time, I just wanted some experience. So I was just like, yeah, sure. Um, yeah. And I fell in love with it. And I just kind of stuck with that. I, I, I ended up uh, being a park ranger as an activist for the Minnesota DNR for a time. Um, I've done a lot of just volunteer-based things. It was actually the, the January after I had graduated college my first time around. Um, I was at home uh, with, my, with my now toddler. He was just a few months old at the time. Um, and I was kind of stir-crazy. And I was like, you know, I actually have time now to kind of chase my dream a little bit and um, do do something that I, I, I kind of nerdily call closing the nature accessibility gap. You know, there's so many areas where people just don't have the access. They don't have the resources or the time or the money to, to visit state parks or, or to go to school to learn about these things. So I figured, you know, yeah. if I could bring it to the virtual, maybe maybe you would help. Your quote that you have on the website, like your your goal of this whole thing, it says gapping the natural world into the virtual world. I loved that. Yeah, we, we try. <laughs> and um, we've been kind of evolving and changing ever since. And, you know, I teach high school science, um, you know, full time. But, you know, we do this all throughout the week, every week. And it's been growing pretty steadily and just expanding into, into areas and places that I never really anticipated. Um, it's just been kind of fun to just you know, roll with it and, and see what happens. Yeah. Yeah. And I mean, I like that your, um, your podcast episodes, like I, um, a lot of like science and nature stuff can sometimes be like over my head pretty quickly, but you guys make it fairly easier to understand. I feel like you break it down pretty well and I don't get like lost in, in the context when you guys are talking. So that's what I really appreciate about, about it. <laughs> oh. That's good to hear because we we spend a lot of time getting really stuck where we're like, is this too complicated? Is this going to make sense? Are people going to jive with this or is this just going to be like, are we going to put it out there? No one's going to care. 
Um, so for you to say that, that, that feels really good because we, no, we have yeah. a lot of self-reflective anxiety <laughs> about that. So <laughs> No, I can I can speak for myself. Like I'm not a science person at all. And this this is something I can follow along with. So <laughs> awesome. Cool. Yeah, yeah. That's the goal. That's the goal. Yeah. So that's cool. You said you were a park ranger or a naturalist. Um, mm-hmm. And then now you teach, uh, you said life science? Um, I teach uh, biology, physics, and geometry. <laughs> a okay. lot of things all uh-huh. at once. <laughs> yeah. It works yeah, though. It works. It's on. fun. <laughs> <laughs> okay. And then also my understanding is that you're doing some um, hike hoppers hikes. Yes. Is that mm-hmm. correct? Yep. Yeah, we have a we have a series going. So it's the second Saturday every month, um, one to three p.m. And the location varies, but it's typically a Stearns County Park, um, and each one is a different theme. So it's kind of like where you know in the past where I might have been doing you know multiple programs in a weekend that were uh, you know naturalist led hikes, um, or, or or maybe even a, a stationary program to teach about, I mean anything from like camouflage critters to animal superheroes to you know uh, looking out for beaver dams and, and doing a thing about beavers um they all have different themes uh, and we actually have them scheduled until next december we have them all planned out um and mapped out on their website for hike hoppers like i think a lot of people might not know what hike hoppers is so can you kind of mm-hmm. just explain that a wee bit to the yeah. audience um, Hike Hoppers is a nonprofit organization that is based in central Minnesota. Um, they are very much so on the mission of um, kind of uh, uh, using nature, um, getting outside of nature to to uplift mind, body, and spirit all all kind of together. Um, so they have a, a wide variety of programs. They do some that are um, uh, morning yoga programs at different parks. Um, they have uh, escape program so like just like your typical escape room but it's themed escape um hike programs um, at night at at different parks um they have kids camps in the summers a lot of different things a lot of different things they have a a women hiker specific program um uh their hike at night program which is always a lot of fun is you know you go out with glow sticks it's dark you can't really see anything and you just kind of the only light that you really see is the moon the stars and the glow sticks in front of you uh, it's always just a really interesting experience. Um, right. They, and so you're reading just the yours, correct? Like you yes. kind of craft your hike to what you want it to be and bring the people mm-hmm. out. Yep. Yep. So <laughs> theirs are largely focused more on like um, hiking um, and, and some of the, you know, exercise in the outdoors uh, type things. And mine is very much focused on hiking, but in a way where you are, um, hopefully immersing yourself in the natural world around you and, and, and learning about something while you're doing it. So it's not just going out on a hike, you're going out on a hike and you're looking and you're, and you're touching and you're smelling and you're, you know, just kind of taking it all in. That's awesome. So it's funny you said at the beginning, this makes me think since you're a naturalist, I've spoke to a few other naturalists in our interviews so far. And every naturalist I've spoke to is just like, yeah, we kind of bounce around everywhere. That's just how... <laughs> The naturalist job goes. <laughs> yeah. So I'm yeah. slowly learning that by talking to you guys. <laughs> yeah. I think I think a requirement of being a naturalist is a short attention span, <laughs> but at the same time, being able to remember everything. Um, I can't tell you how many times I'd be on a hike and it 
it's the ability to go, ooh, and then step off the trail and find something. It's like the being so easily distracted that you notice a lot of different things and and aren't afraid to chase it down. That's kind of what it comes down to. Right. And then get like really fascinated by something for like two hours long yes. and you guys just like study it forever. Yep. Yep. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. Um, so yeah, like as you know, like we um we're hiking through life and kind of we wanted to bring you on the podcast today to kind of give some of our beginners because our podcast is kind of aims towards all people who hike in Minnesota, mm-hmm. but more towards people who are just starting out their backpacking or hiking journey. And we kind of just want some of our listeners to understand um, basic animal safety and especially bear safety, black bear safety when Mm -hmm. hiking in Minnesota. So can you kind of just talk about that a little bit? Obviously we know bear spray and bear cans, but go a little bit more in depth for us. Yeah. Um, you, You have to put yourself in the mind of the animal for a moment and you have to think that bears are just being bears, right? And then in general, life itself, it's all about energy, right? It's about how do I get energy? Where do I get it? And what's the most efficient way for me to get that energy? Because at the same time, getting energy means using energy, right? Bears are especially adept at this because um, they're equipped with a lot of different stuff, right? You know, they've, they've got the really good sense of smell. They've got the the body size and the claws and they can root around really well and they eat just about anything. Um, so when you consider that people are expanding more and more and more, it just means that more and more and more, we're going to come in contact with bears. So that being said, um, in terms of generally when you're hiking to avoid bears, uh, dawn and dusk is when they're going to be the most active. So, Early, early morning hike and late, right before dark. So night hikes, maybe not the greatest idea if you're in bear country. Um, Those types of things. One thing to consider is that during the day, um, bears also do not have the best vision. So it's easier to startle them. And when they see you, you're going to look more like uh, something scary and a lot less like what you think you look like. And so they're going to be more likely to be threatened. Um, With black bears in particular... The thing to consider is that um, you may have heard before play dead. If, if yeah. let's just say let's just say it escalates to the point where now you are involved in a you are Chuck Norris style wrestling a bear. Um, do not play dead with the black bear. Um, black bears are not afraid to eat something dead, and they will just keep going. If it's a grizzly, if you just happen to be in grizzly country, absolutely play dead. Like if if all else fails, play dead. But black bears. Not going to do anything. Actually, a very bad idea to play dead. Um, the other thing is, most of the time, I, I would dare say 99% of the time, if you come across a bear and it acts aggressively, it's a bluff. They're going to bluff charge you. It's just kind of like if you were to, you know, jut your chest out at somebody and just kind of flex, you know, you're flexing at them a little bit. You're not actually going to do anything. They're just trying to scare you away. If you run, it might trigger something in them that they can't quite control, which is the chase. That's not good. So the best thing you can do is just make yourself big, scream, make noise. If you are in bear country, especially if you know that there have been bears sighted, it's just a better idea to just be noisy. Hike in groups, make yourself big, um, make sure that you're not going to surprise something right around the corner. Um, Something important to know, I suppose, is that in Minnesota, since 1987, 
three of the seven unprovoked bear attacks, um, none of which were deadly, by the way, all involved dogs, where the bear was actually getting at a dog, hunting dog, something like that, and somebody tried to get in between the dog and the bear. Not the best idea, as much as you want to save your pet. Um, there's a lot at risk there that's more than just your pet. Um, but again, none of those have been deadly. Um, you're actually more likely, about 200 times more likely to be killed by an 18 to 24-year-old dude um, than, than a bear. So not a whole lot <laughs> yeah. to worry about. Right. And, um, you know, when you mentioned the dogs, that made me think of the attack that was up in Canada just this past yes. fall. There was, mm -hmm. yeah, that lady went out to go look for her dog and then a black bear attacked her. Yep. So, again, yep. a dog is involved. <laughs> more often than not. And you have to understand, you're a bear. Maybe you have cubs nearby and a canine comes by you're not thinking, oh, this is somebody's pet. You're a bear, right? You're thinking, oh, this is a predator. Oh, this is a threat. Oh, this is, you're not thinking, oh, this is Fido and he's got a collar on. I'll just leave him be because he's not a threat. That just, it doesn't cross their mind. So make yourself look big, folks. Yes. <laughs> yes, absolutely. Do not run from the bear. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Not it's not like you're going to be able to outrun a bear in all likelihood anyway. So <laughs> Uh, uh, probably not going to do you a whole lot of good. Yeah. So bears, um, what other animals do you think hikers and backpackers up in Northern Minnesota should be aware of other than black bears, maybe wolves? Yeah, not, not really wolves either. I mean, wolves are another one of those cases where, um, the likelihood of being attacked or even approached by a wolf is incredibly low. And even when you look at the statistics, and so this is um, part of my part of my past too. I've I've worked um, quite extensively in, in wolf conservation, and um, uh, even in those instances where there are human wolf conflicts that are you know you're on a trail, guess what's involved? A dog, most of the time, and it's almost always a hunting dog. So it's an instance where somebody has sent their hunting dog up ahead, maybe tracking down a scent. They come across wolves. Wolves see a possibly competitive, possibly hostile dog. They approach it, they go to do what they do, and then there's a human there. Um, you're probably not going to be approached. You probably won't even see one. Um, honestly, things that are probably more concerning are even things like um, sometimes, I mean, it depends, but sometimes moose, sometimes deer, depending on season and time. Um, I mean, I've come across a moose, and I know that I've been told never look them straight in the eye. Is this oh. is this totally true? Uh, do not look it is it's true enough <laughs> it's okay. true enough um they can be scary and they are a lot taller than people realize um a lot a lot taller um you you think they're big and then you see them and you go oh no i've been wrong <laughs> they are way bigger um and and they will you know at times chase you down i i remember at one point my family had been looking at moving to alaska when we were looking at news reports and there's something about a kid being kicked by a moose at a bus stop just oh. came up unprovoked. He was okay. It, it turned out fine and stuff. Um, but honestly, I mean, I, I, it's hard to really think of um, many instances where you really do need to be worried about a lot of animals. It's, it's not even often enough that you see a whole lot of animals um, to begin with. They, they usually hear you. They usually know to be skittish. Um, the times that are more concerning are, let's say you're at a campsite and those animals have been more accustomed to coming there for food and they're really used to people. Um, those are instances where maybe be a little bit more concerned, but overall, you, you probably don't have much to be concerned about. 
Yeah, I mean, we've been hiking and backpacking in Minnesota for many years, and we've yeah. only seen black bear maybe like once or twice. Yeah. But um, I know that yeah. a lot of people don't backpack or hike ever in Minnesota. A bear is like, they're like, oh my gosh, you're going to see bears. You're going to see bears. But um, <laughs> yeah, yeah, I, I have had several very close bear encounters in my time. Um, one of the boundary waters, uh, one when I was about seven years old and I was about, you know, seven, eight inches away from it. I'm fine. I've never, I've never been charged even. Um, normally I've just <laughs> going, ah, 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 and run away. <laughs> what about, so animal tracks? I mean, finding animal tracks is always really fun. What are the most common animal tracks that a person might come across while hiking up in Northern Minnesota sure. or even just central Minnesota? Yeah. Yeah. Um, well, there's, there's a lot of different things that could come up. Um, and in fact, there's a lot more of the small mammals and things out there than people really realize. I mean, in our state, I mean, we have a lot of different types of, uh, uh, weasels and shrews and, and, and muskrats and, and otters and, you know, all, all sorts of things. And normally people are more concerned with the larger things. Um, but there's still a lot more to see. Um, in general, I kind of have a, I, I took some notes. I, I kind of break things down normally when I'm trying to, you know, when I'm out and I see tracks and I'm trying to decipher through it. So it's almost like a flow chart. Um, you can start by figuring out, are they small, medium, or large? And it sounds pretty basic, partially because it is, um, but it helps you to eliminate a lot of things right, right away. If it looks like a dog print and it's really, really, really big, well, it's probably a wolf. But if it's small, it could be a domestic dog, it could be coyote, any of those things. Um, one thing to take into consideration that a lot of people seem to miss, and I see this all the time on like online groups where people are saying, I found this track, I think it belongs to this. Um, if it is a canine um, or from the weasel family or a few other things, you'll see claw marks. Um, but if it's a feline, like say a mountain lion, a lynx or a bobcat, you're not going to see claw marks. Um, nine times out of ten, you're not going to see any claw marks. So if you see what looks like the stereotypical, you know, paw print of a dog, probably belongs to something like a dog. But if you don't see any claw marks, it's not a dog. It probably belongs to one of the one of the felines out there. Just because they have retractable claws, so they're not exactly going to be present in the paw print. One thing to also take note: is it a paw print or is it a hoof print? Um, those are going to narrow it down pretty substantially for you. In a moose, the the fronts of the hoof are going to be a little bit more spread apart. Um, if it's a deer, they're going to be more pointed together. So that's one thing to take to take note for. Um, things like um, a beaver, for example, you'll know it's a beaver if the two front paws are smaller and the two back ones are substantially larger, but only the back feet are webbed. And you might even see some dragging, kind of in between. That's from their big tail. One that you'll see a lot are rabbit. And a lot of people get really confused because it looks like the two front are like these really large tracks and the two back are these tiny, tiny little pegs. But that's just because of how they move, where they put their two front feet down and they kind of swing their back legs forward. So that'll look like two skinny little dots and then up and to the side on the outside, two really large feet. <laughs> so it looks a little weird when you first see it, but that's typically a rabbit. There's a lot of tips and tricks. Uh, for example, um, bears, raccoons, skunks, possums, um, they walk in a way that's a little weird. So like when we walk, you know, if I step with my left foot forward, it's my it, it's like the opposite side. 
you know, moves, my, my opposite arm moves. Yeah. I don't use this yep. arm and leg at the same time. Um, those animals, they move their, their front and back leg on the same side of their body at the same time. So they'll move their left limbs forward, then their right limbs forward, then their left limbs forward, then their right limbs forward. So if you see the gate in the snow or in the dirt where it looks like both sides are moving forward at the same time, it might be one of those animals. Then that's when you break it down by, you know, what size are they? Do I see claws? That sort of thing. Um, in general, there's a lot of field guides out there. Um, the Minnesota DNR has a lot of really good resources on um, visualizing those tracks. You have to take into consideration environmental cues. So like, are you near a water source? Um, another thing to look at, do you see opposable thumbs? If you see an opposable thumb, it's probably a possum. Um, nothing else really has those little those little things. They look like little tiny baby prints, <laughs> not, not so much animal. Um, yeah, lots and lots of tips and tricks. You just kind of have to um, think of it like a flow chart and it, it kind of helps. Awesome. Awesome. Do you have any um, like resources on your own website where we could find any of that stuff or do you not? I, post that I don't yet. We've been working on that. That's a, that's a, a wing of the website that we've been working on for quite some time as like a side project. Whenever we've had the time, we just haven't gotten quite to it yet. Um, but the Minnesota DNR website does um, have a lot of information because they run tracking classes and they do naturalist programs about tracking and um, um, tracking training for hunters and trappers and sort of uh, that sort of thing. So there's a lot of resources on their site. Awesome. Awesome. Yeah, I know that's one thing that I definitely want to keep learning about. And I know a lot, lots of people out there want to keep learning about. So um, what about like animal noises that we might hear? I know oftentimes I hear like the owl, like we've been out at Lake Mariah a handful of times. And I know they have that sign that the um, oh, yes. the, the barred owl that one makes the who cooks, who cooks for you noise. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, that one. Oh, that yes. one. My, my wife has a very good barred owl sound. Um, oh. My mom, my mom is obsessed and her, her barred owl sound sounds so real that we've seen people coming down the trail, like running down the trail, thinking that there's an owl. <laughs> and at times she's done it and barred owls have actually come up to us. It's, it's kind of weird. Um, but yes, um, there are a lot of different things. So if you are looking for where can I listen to sounds to sort of compare um, what I'm hearing, um, that really depends on what you're talking about. But birds in particular, the uh, Merlin Bird ID or the Cornell um, Cornell Bird app, um, both of you know that that system um, is just amazing in general for bird identification. It's it's one of those apps. The Merlin Bird ID app is where you select like size, location, what is it doing, what colors do I see, and it gives you a list of the possible birds. Um, but also for every bird in there, it's like a it's like a bird field guide on your phone, and you can listen to all of the different sounds for all the different birds. Um, so if you look at your general area, you can kind of filter through and do that. There are um, some things out there. NPR a few years back, they had started it originally. Um, where you could email in and it was a crowdsourcing system where scientists could then listen to sounds and then tell you what animal it was, regardless of whether it was bird or not. And they used the hashtag decode nature. Last I checked, which was just a few days ago, the hashtag itself is still in use. So you put a sound out on social media, hashtag decode nature, and a scientist out there somewhere will 
check it out, listen to see if they can tell you what it is based on whatever clues you can give them. So that's pretty cool. There yeah. are apps like Shazam. Um, like Chirpomatic is one. Um, Song Wait, Shazam, isn't that like the to decode music and yes, yeah, yeah. So it's exactly <laughs> it's exactly like that. It's um, Chirpomatic is good, uh, and Song Sleuth. That's another one. They're both a few bucks, um, but they're available on Apple and Google, um, and it works like Shazam. So you can hold it up and listen to the sound, and it will come up with a list of the birds that it thinks that it is. Which is pretty cool. No way. I didn't know that. Yeah. I mean, I should know. Like, they have everything in technology nowadays. Yeah. But <laughs> Yeah, we're, we're in 3019. <laughs> it's crazy. Um, yeah, those are those are a bunch of different things. Uh, but in general, a lot of those just, you know, the, the field guide apps and things. If, if you hear a sound and you have an idea what it might be, you can filter through. And those are really good about having a variety of sounds recorded. Especially with birds. So, like, birds... Um, many birds will have different dialects just like we do based on where they are in the country. So it's, it's almost like having a Southern accent or a Northern accent. Um, they might sound a little bit different or they have a different rhythm. You know, they, they just kind of groove to a different tune and um, that's depending on where you are. So sometimes you might pull out a sound and you're like, that doesn't sound quite right. Well, it might just be a dialect difference. Oh, okay. Okay. Yeah. So um, do you have good bird a good example of a bird noise that is a northern dialect. Can you give us a bird noise? <laughs> or um, is that not your well, expertise? <laughs> <laughs> um, oh, I I could go on about birds forever. Um, so, for example, the um, the well, blue jays are always just tricky. Um, then there's the robin and the rose-breasted grosbeak. They always sound the same. They're very similar. Then you've got the mimics, like the catbird, which will just copy anything. And then sounds like a cat, which gets confusing. Uh, but then there's like the uh, the black cap chickadee and the Carolina chickadee, basically the same bird, but they're a different species, and they're they're just cut across north and south. So they sound pretty much the same. They look pretty much the same. They just live in different areas. And the chickadee is that one that's um, the mnemonic for it's just chickadee dee 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 dee, chickadee dee dee, chicka chicka chickadee dee 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 dee. It just kind of oh, goes yeah. like that in the trail. Okay. Um, and in the South, it basically sounds the same, but it's the Carolina chickadee. A little bit different. Okay. So <laughs> um, let's go on to plants. So what's the easiest way that a person can identify a poisonous plant? Well, um, it gets complicated. And I'd say avoidance is the best solution. Um, now, if you're talking things like poison ivy... Um, poison oak, poison sumac, you've probably heard leaves of three, let them be. And that's generally true, except for sumac. Sometimes those leaf clusters can be in like seven to 20. I mean, it can vary quite a bit. Um, and a lot of people see sumac and just assume it's poison sumac. And it's not all sumacs that are poison. Um, as a generality, you know, leaves of three, just leave it alone. Best not to touch it. Um, then there are, you know, the concerns of eating things, right? Um, there's a lot of berries and things that look quite appetizing, but um, would be the absolute opposite. <laughs> and it would probably make you never want to eat again, if not put you in a coma or outright kill you. Um, so in general, don't eat it if you don't know what it is. I cannot stress that enough. And I was, I did that as a kid and I just was incredibly lucky um, that I, I never had anything horrible happen. Um, there are a wide variety of things like nightshade, 
um, um, hemlock, you know, they're not your typical looking thing um, in terms of what you would expect out of something being poisonous, but they can have some serious health consequences. Um, so my general rule of thumb is stay on the trail um, for a wide variety of reasons. Stay on the trail so you're not spreading invasive species and all that stuff as well. Um, but part of it is some things are bad if you brush against them. Some things are bad if you inhale the pollen. Some things are bad if you eat them. So just never eat anything if you don't know what it is. And before you handle anything, well, number one, try not to pick anything regardless, but identify it first. So if you have a field guide, great. One thing I always recommend is iNaturalist. So that is an app that, and, and we actually have our own community on iNaturalist, um, but it, it's an app where you can upload a picture in your location data, and it has all these algorithms and um, um, image matching setups where it can basically give you most of the time an accurate identification of what it is that you're looking at just based on the picture in your location. Um, with plants, it's important to not just get the leaf or just the flower or just the fruit, but to get the underside of the leaf, the stem, you know, some things look remarkably the same, but one is not poisonous and one's poisonous. And the only difference is that there's like different colored veins on the bottom of the leaf. So you have oh, to be really sure. careful. <laughs> um, but using an app like that to, to identify something and if it doesn't look like it has a poison counterpart, then okay, maybe you can take a look at it. Um, but just in general, you know, wearing wearing socks that you're not brushing up against a bunch of stuff, wearing jeans if you are going to be going off the trail and you know that there might be poison ivy, avoidance is always the best medicine. I've run across so many people in t-shirts and shorts who have like red marks all over them, probably mm -hmm. of some sort out on trails. And <laughs> yeah. yeah, it can be pretty simple just wearing long sleeves yeah. and staying on trail. It can be a really simple rule. <laughs> But yeah. people don't always. Yeah, and, and you'd be surprised. You'd be surprised, um, you know, how often people probably think they have poison ivy and it could be something completely different, but everyone just assumes, you know, poison ivy right off the bat. Um, better just be to be safe. If you don't know what it is, just leave it be. Earlier, you mentioned that you were down in Texas doing like your naturalist job and working as a park ranger. And if I read it correctly, does your brother live down in Texas as well? The brother that you do your podcast yes. with? Yes, so he he lives in the Houston area. Um, so does pretty much my whole family. Um, pretty much everybody lives down there. Um, I'm up here with my wife and kids, and and her family is all around. Are you originally born and raised in Texas? Um, I I kind of lived all over. Um, I was born in uh, Cincinnati, Ohio. Um, lived in Texas for a while growing up, and uh, moved to Minnesota in 2000. Um, Shakopee in the Bloomington area. Uh, Moved away in 2005 to Kentucky, uh, moved back to Texas in 2008, and then I came back up here in, in 2010 and started school, and I've just been here ever since. All over the place. So um, so the podcast that you do with him, you guys are just doing yes. that through Skype every week? Well, most of them sound like they're Pretty much. you. Yeah. Um, so typically what we do is, so I do the interviewing for the most part. So we'll kind of... Um, we look at so we have we have our episodes we have weekly episodes listed out um, through next August and then we have a list of maybe 200 additional episode topic ideas where we just haven't really scheduled them or found a place where we really want to put them yet so we have quite a bit we have planned we just haven't gotten to them yet um, and uh, uh, we'll pick you know the next two or three episodes we like to work ahead as much as we can 
Um, but when it's not summer, that's just a little bit harder to do. So like, for example, one of the things we're doing right now is we look, you know, two three episodes ahead, uh, sometimes farther. And we say, which one of these looks like we would really need a guest to explain this or to get the point across or, you know, which one of them um, might ha have some really interesting or recent research that's associated with it or, or something along those lines. And we do some searching, we find a scientist or researcher. Um, I do the interview and then we basically sit and listen to the interview. And when we listen to the interview, we timestamp and we take notes and we do additional research and we sit there and we try to think of metaphors and, and similes and how could we explain this in a way that makes a little bit more sense than the very technical explanation they just gave for 10 minutes. Yeah, and, actually uh, that one. Uh, I was listening to your zebra one this morning. Yes. That the guy talking about the zebra stripes. And yeah. I'm guessing that you broke that one down a lot because like a you lot. just had <laughs> like played that researcher's recording, but then you like broke it down in plain English for the listeners. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And, and we've, we've, um, we've struggled a little bit with deciding on what's the best approach of would it be better to um, largely just play the interview and then just kind of chime in with asides and examples and things, or to do more of a, um, we like to call it documentary style where, you know, it's interspersed with commentary from the expert, but we're doing a lot of the storytelling and explaining. And I think we, I don't know if we've really found our, um, our balance yet between the two, but we're, we're working on it. Got it. That's for well, sure. I can say I understood what you were explaining about the zebras. So <laughs> that's good. <laughs> <There's> that. <laughs> good. Good. Um, do you think there's anything else that our listeners should know when they're just basic safety skills, knowledge when they're out hiking or backpacking for their very first time? Um, one thing that I often hear, so my my wife and I, and of course our kids do, um, we hike quite a bit. Um, we do the the Minnesota State Park, um, I'm blanking on the name, the hiking club. We do Passport that. Club, hiking and, club, yeah. Yeah, yeah, we've been crossing those off and been really excited about that. And I think in that time and in our, all of our years getting out there and hiking, I think there's two main things that we've learned. And, and one of them is you need a lot less than you think. Um, you need yourself and a good attitude and a willingness to just be present. Um, that's that's pretty much all you need. Um, everything else is optional. You want poles? That's up to personal preference. It's up to you. You know, how you dress even. I can't tell you how often I've just gone hiking in, you know, basketball shorts and long socks <laughs> or even sandals or, you know, or sometimes you look goofy, but, you know, you don't have to have everything, you know, because that's a barrier for a lot of people. A lot of people say, I don't have the time. I don't have the money. I can't get all of that gear. You don't need a lot of it. Just get out there, explore. Um, I think the second thing that we've we've really learned is there's a lot more, a lot closer than you think. Not everything has to be a trip or an expedition or something you plan weeks ahead for. There's somewhere to hike everywhere around you. Um, it doesn't have to be for three hours. It doesn't have to be strenuous. You know, it could be an evening hike 10 minutes down the road, but there's something near you. You just have to, to know where to look um, and be open to new experiences and be open to hikes that aren't, you know, around roaring waterfalls and rivers and it, it doesn't all have to be you know pic picturesque instagram worthy scenic um there's stuff everywhere you just have to just have to go out check it out yeah absolutely yeah. that's such a cool insight and really cool that you guys do it with your kids yeah that's another thing it's so easy to do with kids 
people make it seem like it's a you know it's a whole it's a whole extra thing and it's going to be a lot more work or oh well my kids are too young to go hiking and camping right now we'll wait till they're older no 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 don't wait till they're older the most important time to encourage someone for the rest of their life to be an environmental steward and to appreciate the outdoors is in those really early formative years when they're a toddler and they're curious and they're taking everything in like a sponge and they want to they want to feel the dirt and they want to taste everything and they want to pick up every acorn and stuff it in their pockets that is the most important time to get people outside what's your science and safety advice to parents who don't want their kids picking up everything and eating everything uh, watch <laughs> um <laughs> keeping an eye out um and and not being afraid of you know letting them get nicks and 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 get dirty and i'll say this so when i when i taught at that nature center in texas I was taking three-year-olds out on hikes in Texas at a bayou where more than once we'd be walking down the trail and I'd have to say, oop, stop, there's a copperhead on the trail. And we'd have to get the kids to walk around the copperhead, which is a highly venomous snake, um, more than once. Kids can do it. Um, we did it for thousands and thousands of years, and um, uh, clearly we made it at some point. Um, we're still making it. But um, kids can do it. You just have to watch and be mindful of your surroundings and and just let your kid explore. You know, don't let them go crazy off trail and dive into poison ivy. Obviously, check things out and stuff, you know. Absolutely. Absolutely. I totally agree with that. And because, I mean, I'm a preschool teacher and we bring kids out on our na nature trail at our school and we don't have venomous snakes. But, yeah, mm -hmm. when you bring them out there, they love it. No doubt. <laughs> yeah. I mean, and kids are going to fall, whether it's outside or inside. Kids are going to bump into things and, and cry more than they probably need to cry when they do certain things. Kids are going to stick things in their mouth, whether you're inside or outside. Um, that's just part of being a kid. Um, it's just doing it in a different setting. Exactly. Yeah. Exactly. Anything else? Can you give the listeners your website and where they can find you on social media? Uh, the website is the wildlife.blog. Um, get it. It's a bit of a pun. It's about wildlife and it's the wildlife. Um, we, uh, uh, our hikes can be found at highcoppers.org um, under programs and events. Um, my personal social media, which I do a lot of our blog stuff out of, is at Devin the Nature Guy. But we also have our official one, which is at thewildlife.blog. And it's the same across all, all the different platforms. Uh, let's see. And we also have our, so we're, we're member supported, member funded. Um, we have people who each month they contribute to us. And we send out a whole bunch of different special rewards and, you know, uh, monthly letters and gift packages and things like that. Um, and that's at patreon.com slash the wildlife. Um, and if you don't mind me saying or, or sharing, we did just recently start something we're, we're pretty excited about. Um, it's a wildlife ambassador program. So um, now when you become a member with us, then 10% of your monthly contribution gets donated to a conservation or research program for an animal that you pick. So if you pick something that's just very important to you, that you always love that animal, and you can change it, um, we donate 10%, and uh, we keep a live tracker of your lifetime contributions on our website, along with a bio about you and, and why you're supporting that particular animal. Um, and we're running a, a member drive right now where we're upping that from 10% to 20%. So that's just something that we were really excited about. We had the idea when my brother was visiting, and we're like, oh, that's, that's great. Let's do it. And, we're just not, you know, been trying to get that out there as much as possible. That's awesome. 
you yeah. guys are doing some pretty amazing things on your podcast. So, I mean, I know I was inspired to listen in and follow you guys and yeah, thank I'm you. hoping other thank people you. are too, by hearing you talk. I hope so. And it is available pretty much wherever you get a podcast. And if it's not wherever you get your podcast, then um, shoot us a, shoot us a message, let us know and, and we'll get it fixed. But as far as we're aware, it's, it's everywhere. Awesome. Well, thank you so much for joining us today, Devin. This has been really yeah. informative. I hope everyone knows their bear safety now and isn't yeah. to go out hiking. Absolutely. <laughs> <laughs> thank you. If you were a little wary about going out hiking or camping before you listen to this podcast, we hope that this podcast has inspired you to get out and maybe apply some of the knowledge learned by Devin to your trail experience. Be sure to go check out Devin's podcast that he does with his brother, The Wildlife. It can be found wherever you listen to podcasts. Um, go check out their website, thewildlife.blog and also go head on over to their Patreon page and check it out and sign up for a membership if you like what they're doing. His Patreon page is patreon.com slash thewildlife. Links to his website and Patreon page and Hike Hoppers hikes can be found in the description of this episode. And remember, the people that we're interviewing are just normal, everyday people. So if you think you have a story that has been inspired by the outdoors and want to share it, please check out our page, um, hikingthroughlife.net slash podcast, and fill out the podcast form. We would love to have you on this podcast because, like I already said, these are normal, everyday people that are sharing their stories through our podcasts, and we know you have a story to share, too. So hop over to that page and fill it out. We can't wait to hear from you. We like to promote the opt outside on Black Friday. So instead of trying to navigate your way through a crowd of people in a store, why not get out on a trail and navigate the outdoors? And remember, the trails can be pretty much in your own backyard. You don't need to get in the car and drive five hours up north, you can go to your closest park and apply the knowledge that Devin shared with us today. So after you get outside on Black Friday and give yourself a big reliever from the stress of the holiday season, why not just make shopping easy? Go over to hikingthroughlife.net slash shop. We have some awesome Hiking Through Life branded water bottles as well as t-shirts and order them it'll take you two minutes at most and even better on cyber monday which is december 2nd we will be having a sale on all of our products so go check that out and we hope that this holiday season brings you much joy and quality family time and remember if you like these episodes that we're doing be sure to share this podcast with your friends and family. We've been finding a lot of value in all the interviews we've been doing with our people that we're finding, and we hope that you've been finding the same value. And as always, thanks for listening. You've been listening to the Hiking Through Life podcast. 
peace, love, and hike through life.